Hey, buddy. How you doing? Hey, dude. What hey. are you doing? I don't know. I just thought we'd we'd call somebody. I'm eating. Bring him into the podcast to be our first guest, phone guest. Do you want to guess who it is? I know who it is, so I can't really guess. <laughs> how you doing, Morgan? Pretty good, how are you? Pretty good. I heard you started a podcast. It's called Miles to Matches 2. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah, what, um, I've been listening to it for the last week or so, and I think I told you last night I've listened to every episode at least twice now, trying to give you some feedback, honest feedback. Uh, no harm, no foul, because we all have things we can improve on, right? But there's a ton of gold nuggets in there. I'm really appreciating the fact that you're taking the time to do that, so thank you. Oh, well, I appreciate you listening started, to them and giving the feedback. It's been I started good. listening last first. So I started with your, um, I think it was Wind. Wind? There wasn't a Wind podcast, The Fundamentals of Marksmanship. No, was the, what was the very, episode five? I, I don't know. I have to look it up. But it was with... I'd have to look it up, too. You guys almost hit a deer. They're like, oh, crap. There's like 2,000 feet down to the cliff bottom or something like that. And <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, there was. It was like... It was pretty nuts where we were driving. And kudos to Brady for white-knuckling it through there. Because he, like, he was so distracted on that one. I pretty much was like, I think I'm alone here. Yeah. Yep. I'm alone. Yeah. yeah. Was not paying attention. It was pretty funny, though. I mean... <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm a little distracted. Why? We're, we're on a cliffside. It doesn't look like, it can't be that far. Oh, sh- crap. I just saw down. Yeah, it's really, yeah, yeah it's that's like a, a thousand, ways. Like a thousand feet. You can stay focused. I know. I was, <laughs> I was telling him how far down it was. Cause I was the one on the, on the cliffside and he was the one on the mountainside. And, uh, I don't think it was helping cause I paused for a little bit. You know, I just like hit pause on my recorder, and then I was just sitting there, just telling him how far down. Was. Yeah, plus, it was like four in the morning on a two-hour detour. So, oh, uh, it wasn't. It actually wasn't too late. It was because uh, we were trying to get there. We were we were scheduled to get to Raton by like midnight, and then all of a sudden that detour got us there at like three in the morning, and we ended up sleeping in a park in a gas station parking lot, and then we got there at like eight in the morning hmm. and ate breakfast. So it was a long freaking drive. Nice. Well, if you guys want to hear all about that uh, trip, you can check out the new podcast, Mythology of Marksmanship. Yeah, I've been pretty excited because, like, you guys' podcast come out, and I've been toying with the idea for, like, a year and a half now, and I've been talking to Brady about it. And then finally I'm sitting there and... yeah, well, you cut out there for a second, but I think it, the gist of it was that oh. you just decided to start start yeah, putting them out. Buying you know, why stuff. not? Yep. Yeah. Full I set. started buying crap, and it was good. It's been fun. Yeah, yeah. So um, the reason we wanted to touch base with you is we have a topic that we get asked about all the time, and yep. you have talked a little bit about it on your podcast and the episodes that I listen to, and not specifically about that one thing, but all things related to downrange effects. And people are asking, like, how do I get better at seeing where my bullets land and how do I make good corrections and so on and so forth. So everything related to downrange effects is our topic for this afternoon for at least the next hour. So, so I guess the three of us, um, where, where do we want to start talking about that? I think a lot of people get, they think that there's some magic sauce. They think that there's something magical that somebody is doing that somebody else isn't able to do or hasn't figured out yet, right? Yeah, but I think we should start yeah. with quantifying the downrange effects because okay. there are several of them. And Well, 
I think, dude, I I agree. We should start with like figuring out. Let's hash out what the downrange effects are. But at the same time, uh, like I get asked this question constantly. People just like make this. Like, it's like a blanket comment. Like you must see more than I do, or you must see something that I don't see, or like they say crap like that all the time. And I and I'm not trying to be an a hole when I say it back. What I say with what I say back, I just say, no, we see the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. you just pick out details. Yeah. Well. So I, my, uh, what I tell them, I, I just say, we see the same thing and I'm not, like I say, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but, but, uh, we literally do our nervous system sees the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Now that the, the difference is we're exposed to the same thing, but that doesn't yes. mean we literally can say that we saw it. Right? Yes. There, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's a technicality and I, but I do tell people that so that hopefully they think about it like. Yeah, and I do see the same thing um, because I usually don't have enough time to explain what I'm saying. So, or what I, what I mean by that, but at least hopefully they'll think about it. Like, you know what? Yeah, we do see the same thing. So what's the difference here? Yeah. I mean, and I have, think it's, you could have 10 people looking at the same photograph that's got like, oh, where's Waldo, right? Everybody is looking slightly some, someplace slightly differently and picking out a detail or an item and until you like in the spot, the difference photos, like you have to learn to find differences and it's a trained, it's a trained um, response. Your brain has to understand how to process images that look, you know, in snapshots. It looks like this. It looks like this. Oops, something changed. And what was it? And then it's gone. Yeah. Or that thing with the dodgeball video where like count yeah. all the dodgeballs, but you know, there's a gorilla running through the frame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're missing, oh, the, ob- you're missing the yeah. obvious things that you need to be looking for because you're focused on other things. Like if you get too focused on one thing and I know what you're going to say, Morgan, but yeah, if you get focused, if you get focused on one thing, no, then you no, that's not what I'm going to say. 90%. I'm not going there. You're not, you're not going there yet, or you're going to go there. Yeah. So go let's ahead. do, I will we do go this. There. Let's do this first before we go into the thing you want to say, because we want to get there. But let's No, no, talk I don't want to go there. Yeah. I, I, I want to go. The place I do want to go is I want to highlight what what, what, what Chad just said, because um, he says, all right, we're looking at the – you're seeing the picture with the, with the dodgeballs or whatever, count the dodgeballs, and you got the gorilla running through the thing because you're thinking about all these other things. And so it's hard to see the gorilla running through the picture. Yeah. Um, well, my, my argument is, is that, that, uh, the dodgeballs that we're counting per se, if, if we want to use that as a, uh, a, a metaphor, the dodgeballs most of the time, especially for new shooters is, uh, how do I basically get the next round off? Like, or <laughs> how do I, how do I get yeah. into the position? How they're do I, about man, I'm things. running out of time. I'm, yeah. I, they're thinking about all these things that, that we take for granted guys like you and I, because those things like getting stable, managing your gear, managing your bag, managing your rifle, not shooting someone like all that stuff we take for granted is second nature where when we started, that was big deal for us. So like we weren't looking for the gorilla running through the picture. We weren't seeing that. We were actually we were worried about all these other little dodgeballs versus actually looking at and focusing on where does that round go. I think a lot of pe- yeah. people differ in resolution of that due to where their brain is at when the round goes off. Yeah, you're only able to get to the point where 
really small details are important when the big things are handled, so to speak. Yeah, they happen autonomously. Yeah. And you take, like you said, you take them for granted. You're just not even focused on them because they, they happen automatically. Like you looking mm-hmm. down at your chassis level. Like that's just what you do before you even start looking at the target, you know? Yep. All so, right. So, rumble strips. So, that said, yeah. different types of downrange effects. I mean, we get this question a lot like, what are you looking for? Are you looking for trace? Are you looking for target splash? And I personally, I categorize it in the, the way that they, in the order that they occur, right? So, the first thing you have, obviously, is trace. Now, we're not put listing these in the order that they're important. We're listing them in the order that they happen in time so that you can in your mind's eye, follow along with what you'll see from the time you go click. I'm expecting to see detail what you're going to see in the sequence of events. It'll be a bullet going down range. If you can catch trace, it goes up, hits max, or it comes down towards the target. As it's approaching the target, if it hits target, you see either dust rock off the target and plate movement. So those are two different items. Dust, spall, plate movement, and its motion. Or you see splash next to it. Um... And you also have the, if you did hit the target, you have the dust spall from the ground and the ground signature. If you miss, you have grass moving, twigs moving, trees moving, dirt moving, falling, dust, or rock chips, or something there, there or thereabouts. And those become most of them. Um, but there's some other downrange effects that are kind of lost on people. They think about their shots. And another good one to look for on, say, square ranges or places as you're spotting are adjacent stages, looking for what dust signatures are doing near you, but not from your squad shots, because they can also give you indicators as to what you're expecting to see downrange. I like that one, and I pick yeah. something mid-range, and you can see yeah. what the wind's doing halfway to your target or something like that. Yeah. You know, and you get a little more information. Yeah, and notice I've left out of there, like, vegetation, trees moving, like, wind stuff. I'm leaving that out because that's not part of what I'm talking about yeah. in context here. This is how do you understand where that round went, what it did on target, and how to make the best correction possible. That's a, this is what happened, make an adjustment, not a, what do I think is about to happen? That's the assessment. And so that's kind of where I was going to boundary layer, like bumper the conversation until we get past the, let's talk about the importance, what you see, how you see it, what do you use it for? And then we can maybe open it up to, so now what is Morgan, what are we doing? What is Morgan doing right before we break a shot? Once we see those downrange and what happens after that, shot are we looking for we're repeating the process and we're looking for other things as well so i guess we starting with the first yeah, one let's start with the first one is trace um yeah we all morgan you can just go ahead and say it because we both agree and we know exactly what you're going to say how useful it isn't most of the time <clears throat> yeah i uh definitely think that it is so okay let me i it's not that big a deal it, like if people want to look for it, that's great. But I do think that it's a huge distraction. I don't think it's, I don't think that it is as important as shooters have implied for a long time. Because, and I think the reason why it has become such a popularized idea is because certain shooters that are really good talked about it, and they talked about seeing it, and the percentage that they saw it or whatever that that wasn't really discussed but people just ran with it because it is really cool to stand behind somebody in your spotter and watch their trace and the reason why i know people don't see it to the degree that they may elude is because uh i can stand behind somebody in a spotter and 
see half of their trace. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But I, but I so think I'm like, you, you touched on something right there that is a very valuable, important thing about watching traces. Um, and I think you're alluding to the fact that you don't use it much on the gun, but, but looking at it in the spotter is actually pretty valuable to watch somebody else's trace, right? Yeah. 100%. Like, I mean, you want to use whatever you can when you're, when you're standing behind somebody, you can see it wash out behind the bullet as, as you go. And then you know which direction it is. Cause if it's washing out to the right, you know, that, that, uh, the wind's going from right to left. You can see the arc. If you line your reticle up in your spotter with the target, you can see how far that arcs out and shoot. You can almost mill yes. to like two tenths what they held. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, that's what we did a lot. And especially when it's lower wind, you know, it's very easy to see, you know, under mill motions. It's under a mill. It's fairly easy to see the initial launch direction where the bullet starts, where the trace starts on its way up, and then how much it deflects and where it lands downrange. And it's a really useful tool to get a range of solution that brackets your, usually brackets your wind call without having to do much more than one, one or two shots. Yeah, one of the cooler, more educational matches that we shot was that team match down in Oklahoma at, at uh, Fouled Boar. And you had a team, I think, of six or five people. And you, you got to work as a team. But that meant that you guys all agreed on what your initial wind hold was going to be, say five tenths, and then you got to watch to see what that looked like going through the glass, and then they would make a correction. So, very rarely get to, do you get to know exactly what every person's doing on every shot, and that was a unique opportunity to use that as an educational purpose. I thought it was fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know that. But you mentioned something, Morgan, that was really important that is also the reason, I think, the biggest pitfall to using trace. And you, it's actually two parts. One, you mentioned people looking for it. Looking for trace, if you're looking in some weird version of a saying, like, if you have to look for it, you've already lost. Because it's, it's something that if you start taking your eyes away from your target, you've already put yourself in a position to be behind the eight ball. Because by the time you catch the trace and follow it down to the target, more likely than not, inside of about 700 yards, the bullet's already at the target. So I, that's exactly why I don't watch Trace. Because yeah. if you think about Trace just in a, in a logical manner, right? Uh, trace is, a, is awake, yes. essentially. For, a better, for lack of a better term, it's awake, right? And if you think about a boat wake, you never see a wake in front of a bullet or in front of a boat. in front of a boat yeah. or right at the boat. Where do you see the wake? You see the wake be coming from behind the boat. It's yep. a it basically what it is is it's an evidence of where something has been. Exactly. And so essentially what you're trying to do and a, and the human brain is not as fast as we would like. It's I mean we cannot process things at, at a speed and a, and a lot of times we see little bits of information and our brain fills the gaps. Yes. And so what what's happening when we're saying that we're seeing trace, you're you're seeing flashes of information and that is actually not where the bullet is. And you're trying to say that you're able to then um, get enough resolution to be able to and you, and you're, you also want to see the trace, but then you also want to see where the bullet splash is. And what I tell people a lot of times is you you can see trace and you can see a high percentage of trace if you go and start. Um, practicing and trying to at, at trying to see the trace, right? You, there's some techniques of like taking your uh, 
what is it the danger space whatever you can find it in your kestrel and it'll tell you how far how far your bullet is going to go up and back down it'll and you, you can try to find that yep and it'll tell you where the trace yeah. is above uh, above line of sight so, so for anyone yep. here yeah. that isn't familiar with that you go to your range card and you look yeah. in the column Scroll that says over. trce and that tells you where to look for trace and that's yeah, target. Like, it can be in target card or ballistics, yep, yep, yep. or or in range card. I guess you can in range card, but that's by the range increments. But you can get it to the actual to your target in, in target card yeah. or, or ballistics. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you also mentioned the other part that it is moving, and that's the one reason I don't like it. In low wind scenarios, if you're spotting, I mean, don't get us wrong. Trace is extremely useful as a spotter. It absolutely at the gap grind. What two years when Hunter and I were shooting, and also the year before that, I exclusively used trace downrange to. I mean, guys are missing targets, so you don't have where did you hit on a skyline target. So I was using trace to get the approximate back to center correction. We're talking about half mil corrections, you know, point three half a mil to get to center, and you can use trace to be predictive, but it has to be a low to no wind scenario for that to occur because trace will drift with the wind as well. So the wake starts in one spot and drifts downwind, so by the time you get there, it looks like, no, the trace went right into the target. No, I mean, it's moving, so if you were upwind of it, it drifts into the target, but you missed on the strong side where you missed high. And that's that's a small nuance that people miss about something that's in a fluid. You can use it you can use it in pretty high high winds. I mean, I use it all the time in high winds because I, but it is more difficult. It's I will, very, I will yeah, it agree. Becomes, it becomes more difficult as the wind goes up. I mean, a good example. You basically have to look at the upwind edge of it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And a really good example of this is if you've ever watched slow-mo video of like Nick Godarzy shooting coyotes, right? Or anything that does one of the longer range shots that you can see the wake of the bullet going down range. The first time you see that, if you, find a new one somewhere play it once and p- pause it and then play it back in your brain and go where did that bullet hit make your guess draw a diagram and then put a dot on a piece of paper that represents where you think it hit then immediately replay it and confirm where you thought you more often than not you're wrong yeah like even with me i've yeah, done that over and over and over and i noticed like I mean, with nicks it's pretty easy like man he did he miss over the sh- the ear and then sure enough i realized no that's the wake 50 yards so i have to use you learn to extrapolate where the bullet is coming down and okay there's the arc what if i continue that arc where would that approximately be then you use the depth of field to understand where it would cross the target's path but it's extremely complicated for the average yeah. shooter to pull off well our eye wants to center it up so what yeah. you're explaining is generally you guess based on trace you usually you guess high and you guess downwind of where it, of where it ends up hitting. Most so, people, but if you use, yes. but if you use the upwind edge, it's a little bit better because well, that's when I referred to it washing out. Is it washes it, it blow it blows downwind and just kind of like it gets thicker and then just yep. kind of like kind of like uh, if you were to like throw something against a wall with dust in it and the wind's blowing from say left or right it's going to wash out to the right essentially Correct. it's going to kind of get fatter and just kind of just evaporate and i think what what you guys are both talking about is like the average shooter and you said it a couple times and most shooters will will guess that it's you know not exactly where it is but i guess the question that we get the most that i get the most regarding this topic is like yeah but like sh- could i get like really awesome at it and and is that time and 
effort well spent? And is that something I should be focusing on on the clock? I mean, these are all things that, that they're like, well, why don't I see it as much? And why can't I and pinpoint it? And I just go back and say, well, are your fundamentals sound? And, you know, I know you have a, that's a trigger word for you. <laughs> um, but it is for me, too. Uh, it means something different for everyone. But basically, are you, are you doing everything you can to let that bullet leave the barrel on Perfectly. its perfect path? And then are you using your, your probability and your ballistic solver and your wind budget and all these other variables that you have at your disposal to, to get yourself on plate in the first place? And then do you use the rest of the downrange effects, meaning, you know, watch the plate rock, watch if you can where the bullet hit? Like that to me is like is something that is tangible. It's not um, it's not whimsical. <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's 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 something that you can use and measure and, and, and see and practice and improve on. So I do know that I've I've talked to one guy, um, and I won't say his name, but um, I'm friends with a guy and he spent like a full year just trying to get good at seeing trace and he told me that he got to where he could sit and shoot bullets and just watch trace and and he says he's he got really good at it and and i believe the thing is i believe the guy i do think that that if like i went out and and did things to where like that's all i was looking for because there's because i can and i have gone out and i have looked for it and all that stuff but it's just not there are certain days where, where say you're really good at it, you might still only see 60%. And then if it's a really good day, you're going to see like 90%. Yep. But if you're like me, I and I just don't look for it at, at all, and I still see it like 20% of the time. But I mean, I see it. That doesn't mean I look for it, and I don't even try to measure it. I don't even like, – it's like it the gorilla exists. running through the picture for me. Yeah, it exists. Yeah, and if you run out of other things to look for or any other feedback on a given shot, that might be the tertiary thing, and that's what I was going to drive at. Also, and I think we were all getting to the same place. Trace is arguably the the least utilized tool in our book because there are so many other ways to make it to make more valuable determinations of a bullet's impact, miss, or better corrections to target that have precise locations that don't change every second. Um, and because of that, you can make more precise corrections, therefore more impacts. And also, the trace doesn't hit the target. Well, it does eventually, kind of, right before it hits, but the bullet is what's hitting the target. So yeah. we make 70 to 90% impacts in most of our matches. So seven to nine times out of 10, I'm on a given stage, I'm able to use something else that has a absolute certainty of giving me better information than this ethereal thing called trace. And if I'm taking my, you can only, let's say you have 100 points of attention. If you're putting 70% of your attention or 90% of your attention to seeing this 20% say benefit, benefit <laughs> of trace, why would you do that when you could focus it on the ground, the dirt, the plate, or the motion that gives you 80 to 90% of the feedback 80 to 90% of the time? So put your yeah. marbles where the money, where the actual marbles can be made, so to speak. Um, so I think we would all agree there that trace is the least utilized. Now it's, we're not saying it doesn't work. It's not saying it's I, not useful. I think I would change just, your wording. Okay. The least prioritized. Yeah, exactly. I say it's least useful, least prioritized. In my case, I would say least useful because it's so infrequent yeah. that we have the perfect condition that I can count. I, I mean, look, we've all developed systems around going to a given range, a given match, 
and expecting, if I do this, this is what occurs, this is what I do to follow it up. I can't, that's traces the one aspect that I can't say it's in my control. And a lot, because the weather, if it's raining, good luck, other than watching it hit raindrops occasionally. If it's really cold when there's not a lot of sun, sometimes low humidity, it can be really difficult to see the wake in certain conditions. And that alone means it's unreliable. And unreliable sources of information are the worst kind. Yeah. So I, I, I'm probably going to, I've been meaning to, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend some time this weekend on it, just going and spending time watching it because I do feel like there are certain times there, that there are very few times that it could be useful. And, and the, like say a skyline target or certain KYLs that don't react at all. And so if you can't get good splash on a plate, but you can get good trace coming down, it might be useful. And I, but I don't watch it enough to ever even then place any emphasis on trying to trying to see it. Yeah. Um, because it happens so fast that if you're not trying to look for it, you're really probably not going to, or at least setting yourself up to look for it, you're not going to see it. Right. And I just don't... T- okay, so in my opinion, you know, that's, that's maybe... Or not in my opinion. It's this is kind of true. There, it's really only applicable for about two percent, maybe, of the shots that we take in a match. Yeah, that's the only time that it's actually relevant or useful. Because because if we say if a good guy goes up and he hits ninety percent of his shots, that means that at a match he drops out of two hundred, he drops twenty shots. Yep. Well, so but let's just say that maybe only two of those shots were at something skylined or something that was that he couldn't see splash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now in those two, but the thing is, and this is the reason why I think it is completely stupid to look for is because two to four of those, those that two to four shots or whatever, he probably, if he's, if he's me, he just looks for what evidence he can find of which side of the plate he went, whether, whether, uh, so I will look, I'll recheck Mirage and be like, okay, did I miss a, yep. miss something? Did I, or I'll check vegetation around the target. Okay, did it die on me or something? Or or I will see what I call like little spirits or like a ghost, which is like going past the target, which I'm sitting here staring at the target waiting for the bullet to hit hit the target, and I see something flicker off to the right, say, which ends up being upwind. I see this little thing here, and I just go, that's probably trace. And after a while seeing that, you know, that's what it was. You just don't want to, you're just not looking for it, trying to follow it down into the target. Um, but say you do see that, or maybe you don't see that either way. Or if I see dust, if it's on say a T post target in the, in the middle of the field and the bullet hits 200 yards behind it and the bullet hits directly underneath the, the plate instead yeah, of going. for me, I'm not going to go, Oh, freaking start holding higher. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. that's not what happened, uh, which I've seen a ton of people do that. They're like, man, I'm low. And I'm like, no, nope, oh, you just hit yeah. upwind. And so then you just, so then what, what, then what do you do? Well, you, if you, you can't measure trace, because if you're like me, you didn't look for it, but you got a half mil wide plate. You had a half mil in the middle of middle of the plate. When you pull the trigger, all you do for me, I just put my half mil back right back in the middle of the plate. Well, yeah, you can do that. But I just, because I'm not, I don't keep track of uh, target sizes all the time. I just run the bolt, throw my throw my reticle right back in the middle of the plate, 
look at the upwind side of the plate and take that mark that's on the upwind side of the plate move and I side. take it to make no I move it to the downwind inside. Yeah. side yeah. just inside of the downwind side yep. so which ends up being uh, not point nine like what he's saying it ends up being point one mm-hmm. yeah, in so, the middle of the plate yeah so that um, I think we distracted you from that explanation so I think that what you just said was uh, valuable exactly what everybody needs to, to listen to rewind it I'll restate it just to make sure that I understand it correctly and then you correct me if I'm not interpreting it correctly, Morgan. So you're saying if you if you missed on the upwind side of the plate with five tenths, um, you're you're on gonna center. Im- five tenths yeah, on five center tenths. of the plate. You're gonna immediately put your five tenths back on the center of the plate. You're gonna look and see where the edge of that plate is, and in this instance we're gonna say it's point two from the center to the edge of the plate. It says that the point two line is at that point, right? And you're going to yep. take that point two, and then you're going to move it just inside of the left edge because now you're going to use the whole plate because you don't know for sure exactly how far you missed off that upwind side. Yeah. Yep. The and it only gives you thing you do know, plate. yeah, the only thing, well, so I, I figure I try to move in 90% of plates. Yep. Uh, if you're like 75 to 90% uh, is essentially when it ends up being. But when you start working in these plates that are only 0.4, you know, and you start moving like three and a half tenths or three tenths or something it's like 75 percent but but i don't think you want to move because you know our guns are you know they shoot somewhere around a uh yeah at the worst point two but most of the time our guns are averaging somewhere around point three a tenth a tenth of a mil that's what i'm saying so yeah point two would be a point six away or you know just over half an inch for all shots yeah so a point uh a point one group so you don't want to like get you know, two overboard and because there could be some error in that there could be a little bit of error in in yep. your shooting i but i think that in my opinion you want to move 75 to 90 percent of a plate uh and every time you move if you don't know exactly where it was yep. at least I, I mean you could go as much as 100 percent, but i just don't that just that doesn't leave room for error um and you don't want to be like second guessing things so you cover enough distance by doing that. So I think, uh, I think what you're describing is not answering the original um, person's question, which is how do I see downrange effects? But but it's honestly the best thing you can better. do if you don't have any downrange effects. And that's probably what the majority of a newer shooter are going to be dealing with. They don't have any idea of how they miss a target. Yeah. And the other thing yeah. I was going to point out is – sorry, what was that? Well, I, I guess I would say the easiest thing in the world is to see a, a crater in a berm. Yeah. Right? Or, or have like, white paint on a target and have it magically disappear when you hit the plate. <laughs> yeah, if you, you have a crater in a berm next to a target, you measure the crater and you put the crater and you put that right in the middle of the plate, you pull the trigger and you hit dead center. It just happens. But, on, but it's the, t- the hardest thing is to do like what we're saying where you don't know. And, uh, and so then you start moving this way. Well, you do know because you've already shot one shot and you missed. The only thing you know is say, let's say since we were talking and we, we shrunk it a little bit to a 0.4 target, it sounds like. <laughs> so we have this 0.4 target in front of us and we have half mil in the middle of it. All we know is from 0.2 or sorry, we, we made it bigger. Sorry. To uh, point, um, 0.6. So we, we know from 0.2 to 0.8 that's that doesn't work that whole correct that whole uh that whole amount of wind does not work. that's valuable information now it's like okay 
that's the information we do know. So let's take as let's take ninety percent of that off of the plate because we know that 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 didn't work. So we're gonna so we're gonna move a whole new ninety percent of new new information on the point trigger. The next time, most likely you read the conditions wrong, and you need to go ninety percent the other way. So take your original wind call, put it in the plate, look at the upwind side, do the exact same thing, and now all of a sudden you've covered almost one um, like a mill and a half of wind. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I go up to a stage, you'll hit it that has a tricky wind condition. I already know what my second hold is going to be if if I miss the first one. You know, saying I don't see any downrange effects, I already have a backup plan. And if you miss that one, then you got one more option. You should hit that plate within the, by the third shot, right? Yeah, by the third shot, <laughs> you better. You can just cover. You can just cover so much wind yep. in in two shots that uh, it's just silly to me. And yep. you know, if I go and miss two shots in a row, or or sorry, three shots in a row, that means like I really really did it down something's wrong you didn't dial your dope or something (laughs) you're on the wrong target so Uh, i think i think people asking this question are expecting us to have some brilliant simple answer to it and there is no simple answer brilliant well no no i'm I'm saying about seeing downrange effects they're asking us to give them like this golden ticket to seeing more but what i think we're trying to say is you you see what you can see and then you use probabilities from the start. Like yep. You need to understand what your bullet is capable of and, and where your margins of error are, which is mostly wind budget. Understand what that budget is, and then make the best educated guess after that fact. Because you're not going to see everything. Do you see every bullet land? No. Okay. I don't either, but I do see a lot of them. And I think... I see most of them. Yeah. I, yeah, I think same. that the the answer that I the best answer I can give and you know to put a period on the end of the sentence would be build the most stable position with the the best bag at the rifle's NPA at your body's NPA catch the rifle don't force it back on target you know so that so that your reticle rests quickly and then watch you got to train yourself so that you're not blinking you're not flinching you're not doing anything else but catching the rifle and watching and whatever you can see you can see whatever you can't you need to make a best educated probability guess of what your next shot's going to be yep yep um so yep. from that point i want to jump into the next couple of points of tra- like downrange effects outside of trace outside of the corrections when you have nothing that you can apparently see because i think we would also all agree that we can make some very precise corrections on what would otherwise be not even seeing the exact impact of the bullet like you don't know hey here's the dot like for an a tip or your round but you still know where the round hit using one of three other techniques one being you know where you hit on the plate based on the motion of the target specifically and there's times where you know you have to learn to analyze hitting center center high center low left high left left low and depending on the hanger system they all react slightly different. So one of my favorites is actually at K&M when we use chains. They have all the chain systems that when you hit chains, the chains actually show you the pattern of where the rounds hit very distinctly. Now, Morgan, you know this probably as good as all of us because I think you shoot some chains, but you shot at K&M and you've seen how those targets react. When you sm- When you hit a corner that's on a, let's say, high left corner, the left chain will go taut. The right chain will go slack. And it will rock the opposite corner. goes up 
to indicate like, oh, something hit. It's because the way that the energy transfer happens. And in the bottom left, you see the target kind of wallow away from you and twist in a different way. There are some really cool things that I use with that specific technique in chained chain targets. What about you guys? Yeah. I don't see chain targets a whole lot. Oh, man. Well, you're good at this week. I, I oh, like them. I know, them, I know we have I like them, but uh, like the K the K and M ones. I know you're talking about the KYLs. KYLs and yeah, some of the other and the, a couple racks. Yeah. Yep. And there's somewhere you're not a T post or hanger, but the point simply is learning to how a read of reading a target is not as simple as saying, oh, it does this when you have this. The target size, the target thickness, your distance, the hanger system. Um, in the the impact of your bullet and or the orientation of the target to you because you know one of the big traps that we get stuck in unfortunately is if a target is bladed to us let's say 700 yards it's got 10 degrees of angle or 15 degrees of angle still looks pretty square except when you hit it everything appears to go left if that probably happens a lot more out west oh yeah i'm guessing you guys have to deal with that crap all the time oh yeah well there's yeah oh yeah so I think this is the when we talk about reading when you talk about reading plates this is the number one thing I see because like you talk about chain targets you want to talk about strap targets you want to talk about any of them the biggest thing is is wherever your bullet goes that that portion of the plate if it can give it will go away from you right yep. it's just like just like you're saying well that's basic the thing that I see the most with guys is and, it, and it, it's really highlighted when you when you when you talk about single targets on a on a uh, on a T post hanger, they see it late. And exactly. what I mean is, they see is, the second one. Yep, most people most and I like I, I sat with a guy last weekend who come up with me and starts tell he likes making comments and 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 I felt bad because I was like, well, I'm not going to agree with the guy because and. And I wasn't trying to be mean, but I, I looked over at him after a couple. He's like, he's like, oh, he's he's left. Ooh, ooh, he's left. And I looked at him. I was like, dude, he's right. And he and he looks at me like, no, he's not. And I says, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> and uh, and then he and then he like asked me like, well, why do you? And then he was smart enough to at least ask why. And I said, well, you're seeing it late, so you gotta you gotta see the first one, which. It's hard because because you don't really notice like okay it hits here and you see the splash here, and then all of a sudden you see it snap back, because that first one is just not real obvious, but the second one is just a lot yeah, slower the first one is and easier to see. Yeah, if you looked at a target from the oh, top yeah. down, right, and this is a good way to explain it to people who aren't understanding what we're talking about. Imagine you're looking top down on a target, so you see the T post and it's perfectly square to you. A bullet hits the right side. It can move some amount, call it three inches, on the very right side and three inches on the left side. Well, as soon as you hit the right side, it moves three inches back. It will unrelease. Immediately. It's almost almost instant. It goes three inches to the rear. It bottoms out on its, again, top down. You're looking at it twisting or, you know, rolling. It hits and rolls three inches rearward and immediately comes back to zero and then goes three inches towards the shooter. So, in other words, it goes 50% of the motion occurs instantly, and then it reverses direction, and you see double the amount of motion the other direction. And it's slower. Yeah, so it's you way think slower. it's more pronounced. You know? yeah, yeah, it's slower because yeah, yeah. the one, the one, the first time it's got, it has a per, at 2,000 plus, and it hits, and then, and then it, it basically, uh, that, that force has transferred all of it, and it just, it basically is just, <laughs> you almost can't even see it move. 
on certain it's straps. Instant, yeah. it's, it's way that's, faster. That's something, you know, Gladwell's book, Thin Slicing, and some of the other books on, like, neuropsychology and in golf where we talk about not trying to overanalyze. You have to take some of these effects at a very almost un- you process them unconsciously like you have to learn to see them enough that you can just take the information in and make a gut reaction to what happened and leave it at that exactly. if you try to if you try to overcomplicate it and go well I think I saw it by the time you consciously process what you saw it's too late you've taken in too much information and you're seeing the wrong details so on yeah, exactly. that note uh, one of the things that I do for practice to that we've had guys work on is with 22s you know the plate motion is faster, and this is where range to target matters. At a thousand yards, you get 1.1 to 1.5 seconds, depending on your caliber, to let the round go up. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Oh, I think I missed. Wham! And then it hits. It's almost too long, right? Because it's longer than we generally shoot. But at 300 yards, there's the target. Wham! The bullet is on the plate before you even realize that it's on the plate it's twisting and you're probably going to see the reaction late unless you are really hyper on top of it that day i would argue that is about the limit that i think you can always see where you hit approximately and then uh, out to seven or eight you can practice it and i do think this is one advantage of running a slow round guys ask why do you run slow why do you run slow why do you run slow and that's why i run slow most of the time i i mean i don't think that it's really that big of an advantage, right? Like, like really, what are you going to do from dropping 50 feet per second? Probably not much, you know, but maybe something. Who knows? Uh, I do think 100 feet per second is noticeable, though. Oh, 100% agree. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, just I shot down a 28 22. with a dasher, and it's, it's different from 2870 to 2800 is noticeable with a dasher. Yeah, and that's where I run 2800. I used to run in the same place you are. But I have a 22 GT that I took out for like five minutes. I shot, and I broke the barrel in, is what I did. Yeah. And I went, nope. Too fast. Nope. Way too fast because I just can't process it. Uh, and maybe that's an advantage of being young because little Jake Millard shoots a six Creed really good. And he can see a 115. Like, and he can, he can process it, but, and I think, and maybe it's just getting used to that and something, but it, to me, like that little 22, it was like, I didn't care how much there was, there was, yeah, the recoil was nominal, but man, when you touch the trigger and the, and the round hits, hits the target almost simultaneously, good luck process or being able to see much. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, coupled with the other things that we talked about, making better assessments of the conditions to go, my next shot will be, you know, plate plus 70%, plate plus 90% of my last hold. You can hedge your bet and make a hit, even though you didn't base it on anything. So I think the point of that is if you want to practice this sort of, call it first gut check or first glance impressions, uh, a great way to do it really low cost is with a 22, get about a, get a two to four inch target and put it from, start at a hundred yards with a four inch target and then put a two inch right next to it, or a six, four, and two. Shoot it at 100 yards. You should easily have time to pick up the round where it's hitting. Once you can pick it up on the six because it's heavier, move to the four. Once you can pick that up, move to the two. And you're not, you don't care, you know, being perfectly precise. You just want to hit the target and just call where the round impacted. Then move it to 75. Then move it to 50. And I guarantee you, at 50 yards, You've got to be quick, and if you move it to 40 and 30 yards, you really are training your brain to see things very, very quickly. And the smaller, lighter the target, the faster the flick occurs, um, the more you have to work to kind of first-order effect what happened downrange. 
So it's a really yeah, good I training think, tool. I think the most difficult targets that I run into, well, aside from like a JC Steel Popper, those are tough targets. Those are. But uh, um, like those type of spring poppers, they're to be able to see where you're at, you, you got to be on it. But but is like those single target um, on a just a, like a hook, which which we see tons of those because they're so simple and they're so good. But I I would pra- if it was me, I would practice a lot on those. But another drill that I do a lot of is in like I take somebody with me to the range if I can, and then I will sit there, especially on just reading plates. I try to do it. Um, like a, I'll set up a little trip line. Yeah, I'll. I want to have somebody standing right behind me with a spotter that knows what they're looking for, and then they. Then I will say, okay, I'm hold. I'm going to hold two tents, and then and they say, okay, pull, and I squeeze the trigger, and then I be. I don't. I, I let them. They just watch. You know, they're in forty power on a spotter or whatever, and I'm sitting there, and I say, okay, that looked like that hit a 10th left and they, and they say yes or no, or, and they correct me. And then I say, okay, well, all right, so I'm going to do this. Boom. And then I test myself too. Like if we don't agree, then I go, okay, well, uh, then I'm going to, I'm going to check it and I'm going to shoot again, try to figure out where exactly it was. And then I'll, I, I use this for troop lines as well, because it, it, it allows me to then, then I want to practice taking that, whatever I u- took on that target. And I'll say, say, I thought it was, um, I held two tents. It hit a, it hit a tenth left. So I needed to hold three tents. So then I, I go, okay, that means that puts me in my next win bracket. And then I go to the next target and say, okay, well, I'm now I'm going to hold five. And then I go from there and then we do that and then walk it out. You know, there's a couple of different ship lines that are set up at the place I practice. Um, but if you don't have that, just one plate, you know, or two plates or something like that, different, different, they're hung differently, still have somebody standing behind you and don't let them tell you where it was. You, you shoot and then you say where you thought it was. And then you guys, and then have, have somebody say yes, no, and and try to correct you so that every time you can get better at it and it's amazing how how just that right there and just looking for it and and telling and making your brain commit to saying yeah that was a tenth left it makes it uh well it it helps you to be able to start resolving and picking up the little things yeah yeah i like that and there's a a drill that uh vibbert showed me a while ago where he, you, you just work with a partner similar fashion, but you have the person dial your scope no more than yep. say five to you know five tenths to a mil on your windage and your elevation. I would start with one of the two, so you're focused on just trying to spot your elevation, and then you can get good at that, and then your windage. But anyway, you you dial it, and then you shoot, and obviously you're going to miss the target. But this is for those people that are trying to focus on building their their. Um, mind to look for downrange effects it helps you uh, because you have to do it and then read it and then you have to correct it and then take the shot again and obviously if you're yeah. wrong you can ask the the answer key that's standing right behind you but um yeah it's it's a fun test and it doesn't take a lot of ammunition to really train your brain oh yeah for stuff i've done that a ton with uh, people um and the and the windage cap on the leopold makes that really nice 
I used to have to um, take a roll of tape to the range with me to tape my turrets, but yeah, now now I can, yep, yeah, now I can just um, have somebody um, just cap my turret. And I've done that a bunch, but I guess when I'm most of the time now when I'm doing it because the downrange effects as far as like on the dirt and that, um, and and every now and again I'll still do it, but a lot of times I'm still trying. I'm more trying to focus on where it hits on a plate. Um, most yeah, of the time. I don't know about you, but yeah. I don't plan on missing the plate. I, I don't care as much about the <laughs> when I miss the plate. I want to see. I want to work on seeing where I'm hitting on the plate, you know, and yeah. then centering it up. I think. Yeah, I was talking to Brady the other day about this because um, I showed him the night. Well, I showed him how I do the ninety percent because I think a lot of people are like, "Wow, you measure everything," and I'm like, "Pretty much, yes." Like if I if I miss something, I measure and then I correct. But then somebody else was asking me, "Well, do you measure?" before or after um you run the bolt and i'm like well it kind of depends but when i do the 90 percent deal i do it usually after i run the bolt and then because i i know where i know what i held so i just put that back on the plate and they move it over and then a lot of times like if i only think maybe it was three tenths but i still end up moving a half a mil because i think that gives me the most statistical advantage well i don't really care because i'm going to read the plate after that and see, okay, that hit uh, a tenth and a half left, and I'm going to shave wind. Yeah, you just got to get back on the plate, and then you can see see kind of yep. what it was doing and center it back up. I mean, this all, watching plate rock is one thing uh, for windage, but elevation is a lot harder most of the times to Dude. see plate rock and get useful information just from that. Yeah, I think you got to look for splash most of the time, yeah. Yeah. So unless you're on chains. Yeah, small coming off the target is another one that I think people, oh, they see it, but they don't learn, they don't know how to read it as well because it is kind of hard to do and it is a skill over time, right? If you see bullets hit a target, they're coming at a downward arc, that doesn't mean all of the spall, splash, dust, debris, you know, from the, let's just say, bullet and target interaction, it goes low. It goes both directions. So you can kind of see the where it starts low, where it starts high. And when you see it, like if I'm looking for both, I can see it go above the target and below the target. Well, which one did you see clear the target first? If you see the spall above the target clearing and then you see the bullet, like, and this again, this is like fractions of a second, right? Um, you can tell which way, which part of the dust cloud, if you will, from lead hitting and copper hitting the steel plate go up or down, which part here is clears first. It's probably that whichever one you see first is more likely to be the one that you're going to, you're trending high, for instance. If you see 70% of it above and then just a puff of it below, you're probably up to the top edge of the target. Same thing on the left or the right. If it's windy and you see it drift off the left edge and you see it like right as you start to see the plate rock and you see dust, you're probably pretty close to the left edge. If you see it start to rock and it takes a second, it's almost coming back and then you see it blow across, maybe you're closer to the right edge if you didn't quite catch. So you can stack yep. all those variables to, to understand a better picture about all the things you saw. So circling back to what you know you said from the very beginning, it's not that I see anything different than you. I see the same things you do. I think we just use them differently. And we've learned to kind of piece them together without consciously taking every single piece to the puzzle. We've unconsciously started to process, when I see this, I'm generally high. When I see this, I'm generally left. And I'm, now you're stacking all of those. I'm generally probably a little high left. Let's come down and right just a smidge, two tenths. And we're just piecing them all together. Exactly. That's exactly, I think, yeah. It's just all about processing what you see and, and learning 
because there's a lot of information that's just not relevant. Like to me, I put the trace in the not relevant category, which could be a mistake at, at some at some times. And I'm sure there's other people that that are able to get a lot of use out of it. But the problem is, is for me, I, I generally stick it over in a, in a different category than other people. And uh, but I also. I'm trying to just pick up like a, like you're talking about. You call it spall, I call it splash, whatever the heck it is. I don't know, but that uh, the splash when I see splash, like a lot of times, I'm able to center that, and I can generally pick out exactly on a plate where it hit. Yeah, um, it's almost like a feeling, right? It's not like I can say it hit there, but I could probably draw. I could go up there and you're if you right, gave me a magic marker. Wrong. Yeah, you're yeah. right more often than you're wrong. And that's that, I think, is a skill that people miss. You're not trying to be perfect. Well, we are trying to be perfect on every shot, but you won't be. But we are more right than we're wrong more often than not because you can piece together all the pieces to the puzzle. And what you just said is really important. I mean, you're, you don't necessarily know, oh, it, I'm not going to say it was 100% it was there when it was uh, kind of just unsure. You're just taking the best guess from all the information you got. Collectively, you didn't see yeah. the like the new round take off a new piece of paint. You saw some dust. You saw the plate move, and all of that leads you to believe I'm in the upper left quadrant, about two tenths from the left and one tenth from the top. Come down yeah. right, down two tenths. And I'm not right, looking for elevation most of the time. I'm looking for straight windage because my yeah. wind, my elevation should be dead nuts. But I, that being said, I I do think so. In the beginning, so if you're a newer shooter. You make you spend some time and make sure that your stuff is lined up, and I think so because in the beginning, I think you just forget that elevation exists. You just make sure that you dial your right dope and all that stuff because it is it's hard. And uh, but then as you get, just trust your dope in the beginning. But as you get better and better, and and you start to get more advanced. Um, start. I start to trust. I trust my elevation still, um, but I also am am skeptical at times. Like, right? If I okay. if I see something I don't like, I start to be skeptical of it. Yeah, I'm biting my tongue over here because it's me the too. thing I stress the most about these days. And we have access to data on an infinitely large scale, being an ambassador for Applied Ballistics, and Francis works there. Uh, so we trust the solver. Uh, we just know that there's quite a few things that could mess with it. Uh, and exactly. In, in the tenth range, you know, a tenth of a mil range. And when you, your targets more. get smaller, you, you start to give away your wind budget. So either you got to be yeah. a sharp wind caller or you got to be uh, perfect elevation and be a pretty good wind caller. So yeah. I, think I prefer the Reagan method. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> one of the one of the things that, Francis and I would recommend is get a buddy on your first stage, have them, you know, scrutinize your elevation, obviously take accountability for your own shots. And that's what we had to do at the AG cup. Right. But I think it can't hurt to have somebody watch you shoot the first stage and, and get it perfect. And you should be able to see it yourself when there's clean targets and there's fresh paint, but just in off chance that you can't, it's very valuable to know that you made a perfect press and your partner in crime is telling you you were a tenth low or a tenth high, then you should do. See something that about works it. on your side of the country. Okay, that works. That works great over there. And and I but and I still have people watching my elevation generally. But but the thing is, is when you get over here, and uh, you start getting into Oops, like uh, up up drafts, up drafts, down drafts, stuff like that. 
I I'm just I just tell people just trust. But if you obviously you start seeing stuff go high or something like that, well then you need to start thinking about elevation. But yeah. man, uh, like when you're talking, like it, it's not intense. So it's sometimes it's in it's in like that two three tenths four tenths zone of like when you got a, a hillside that's ramping that that up and you got twelve miles an hour wind blowing at it. Well, for the last two hundred yards of your bullet, it's just all it all it encounters is a wind going directly vertical yeah. and then and then you start getting some effects that way so uh so then you might see that elevation and say so you corrected on the base so you so you see that like right you go up you go up to the first stage and then that's what happens and then you start shaving four tenths on that stage well you go to the next stage and there's no updraft and I you, think you don't want to be shaving i think that we can tell what type of stages have the potential to do that to your elevation but it's not the majority of the stages and i could be wrong because i don't it. shoot it's, a lot of them out it's there. because i i 100 agree with what morgan's saying because having shot montana uh utah we don't see it much at utah like when you, know, you shot utah right? Well, morgan? you don't see it you yeah, don't the, see it there yeah the match, as much it's not like well that. yes you do but the KYL, it there's some yeah the KYL up over that hill when you got like the blind side it was coming from the left so up that I face. can generally read an updraft pretty good yeah downdrafts I'm decent on but I can usually read them decent which I do think that's an advantage I have like over people that come out here so tell us what I do can, you look for oh you know just kidding <laughs> <laughs> no I, I start I start looking for for like um, hillsides. Stuff kind of exactly what I told you. There's hillsides that are going to ramp it, ramp yeah, it up, imagine. like the like the KYL in Utah. Take that KYL yep. up in that bowl right there. Mm-hmm. That's a it's an easy one. And and since the small targets like a tenth and a half, two tenths, it makes a big difference because because uh, say you only have a tenth or a tenth and a half of of uh, updraft because it's only 400 yards. But essentially, the wind that it's encountering, like is it blows over top of that little knoll. So let me explain what we got here, so people are listening understand what we're talking about. There's two fingers, if you if you kind of understand mountains, that come together, and these two fingers that come together make this little bowl. And you're shooting off a of one finger up into the head of this little bowl here, and the wind will blow up the little draw in between the two fingers, and then it'll blow up the little bowl, and it kind of catches this steep rise, like if you were thinking about in a river water coming to a a, a point where there's there's two boulders sitting there yeah. yep. and, it, and and it funnels it back into them and then has to come up out of it well so it's going to accelerate as it comes up that up that bowl and then it's but and it's also going to change directions you have to go up into and so what what will happen is is it may maybe only 100 or 200 yards of the 500 yards that you're shooting it's it's kind of experiencing this, you know, say it's a right to left in, in the case of that Canyon or of that little draw, it's like a right to left and it's going, um, yeah, you know, probably at a 40, yeah, say five to 10 miles an hour on a 45 degree, degree angle up yep. instead of a 45 to five to 10 mile an hour, right to left. It's a five mile an hour, right to left and up. And so you're getting in it, this, this updraft, what we, what it's called and you know it's not a huge degree but it's it's enough to where you're gonna see it yeah it should and, be very similar to the same amount of wind you would see in a like if it's two miles an hour up it would be this you should see a similar for the entire duration of flight you should see a two mile per hour deflection is equivalent to wind but only in the vertical or 
vertical space. So if you get yeah, three tenths exactly. of a two mile an hour, you'll get three tenths vertical. If it's the entire way and it is truly that much straight vertical. But yeah, the thing is, is like in most places, yeah, most most places it's not. Yeah, what I do is I just take my 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 horizontal wind, and then if it's only if I think it's only in the back half, you know, I'm not gonna. I'll kind of look at it and and kind of start thinking, okay, how much could it be, right? It maximum is Max. if it, if it started blowing from here all the way straight up at the yeah. velocity I think it is. Well, it's obviously not going to be that. So if my 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 horizontal wind is is eight miles per hour, or I mean eight tenths. I'm not holding eight tenths no, low. No, you're holding just a tenth um, or two, like a tenth or two. Um, and 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 I I try to use the if you if you have the luxury, which in un- you don't have the luxury, but if you have the luxury of of being able to be a shade or have, hold inside a, a tenth inside of the bottom edge, then you just hold a tenth inside of the bottom edge and then see where the splash goes. Yep. Yep. But all the time, do you have that luxury? Well, I'd like to go to one more last topic if we can, just because uh, we're just about to the point where uh, we're going to get to call it. We've got about another 10 minutes or so. But the last downrange effect, or some of the last, are bullet hitting not the target, hitting dust. So that's why I say spall. I say that different than splash because bullets can splash, and I just like splash on. My mind sees splash and dust far more easily. So I think of it as dirt splash, grass splash, or any of those things. That's around splashing and dirt. That feedback, I think, is misinterpreted by the vast majority of novice shooters and intermediate shooters, for that matter. When they like Morgan, you shoot a lot of dusty environments, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have a you shoot around, it goes down range, and you watch it hit left of the target, and you see a dust ball that's about two feet, and it's drifting right to left. At what point, against sort of a vertical backstop, would you say that round struck a semi-vertical backstop? Like, what are you looking for in dust? I have my own answer. I just want to hear what yours is before you hear mine. I so what I do is I immediately. I look at the, so you'll see it. Like I, obviously I'm not going to, if I, if I see, see a cloud, I can't read a cloud, but what I can read is I can see where the bullet goes, but then I can, I'll, you'll see this, just this dust go up in two directions. Um, the, it'll go in this V and you basically follow that V to its apex. And, and generally there'll be like right there, wherever that little, V comes together, that's where your bullet hit. Yeah, so I would, we're doing, we're talking probably something very similar. We're just describing it maybe in different words because I think you're understanding, your your description is really close to mine. When we're shooting out here with berms, you'll see a dust cloud originate. It starts from somewhere. You can see it start to form if you th- kind of play it backwards in your brain. Hey, it started to be like this little softball-sized puff. It was right here. Then it turned yeah. into a basketball. Then it turned into a beach ball. Then the beach ball turned into a football, which turned into it's away from the berm. It's downwind. I'm trying to trace that back to its origin in my mind. And if it's a berm, 90% of the time, it's at the lowest point because dirt doesn't go down through dirt. You don't see dust going into the berm below the dirt line that doesn't exist. So it's generally going up, like you're describing, at the sort of the lowest point or very close to the lowest point and at the furthest upwind point of the, or just a little bit shy of the most upwind point of that dust ball a split second after it starts forming. That's what I'm oh, yeah. looking for on a, on a wall to go, okay, it's not the, 
And that's where you see guys missing, and this is the one I notice a lot. Guys interpret a slightly low miss, like let's say you miss just off the low right corner of a diamond, and the wind's right to left, but it's, and you see dust, and it covers the entire, all the behind, all the backer to the target goes dusty, and it goes a little higher than the target eventually, and left of the target. Most people are going to say, oh, you missed just over the target. You missed, oh, yeah, and I hate I'm that. Like, no, you miss just low, bro. Like upwind and low. Like take wind. So they add more wind. They start aiming uh, low because they think you're hitting high, and then they're hitting really low and way right. And, oh, I just missed off the opposite side. A lot of that is attributed to not understanding how rounds hit dirt. And so one of the things I do to fix that is I shoot rounds in dirt frequently. In fact, in practice, I don't shoot a lot of targets at distance onto steel because it's hard it's sometimes it's very hard to see where you're hitting on steel. It's too big a it's too big a target with too much mirage so, or other. So I shoot dirt. every time I. So when I this is a, a tip you guys can kind of take for whatever you want it. But uh, when I show up to a range um, and they have steel for you to shoot out to distance to check your data, I don't shoot any of it. I, I shoot the birds. Agreed. Yep. I shoot dirt quads on a berm, and that's how I do it. And I think you and I literally said the same thing. You yep. just said it as it starts as a softball, goes to basketball. But if you, you described a V, yep, just with a rounded bottom. Yep, exactly. Yeah, we're saying the exact That's same thing. That's the only thing. difference. It's the exact same thing. I'm thinking that I just tell people a V because it's easier to envision in your brain. But but you're right. It does start as like that softball poke, and then it goes into a V from there. Yeah. And it blows obviously blows downwind, but if you track it down to the smallest point, that's where your bullet was. Yeah. And it is really hard on that small, like, say, a TYL or whatever that's um, hung, and you got a backer behind there. And <laughs> yeah. That's the that's one of the hardest things. Because the splash is, is as big was. as the target, and it happens or bigger. all the way around it. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Bigger. It's like, good Oops. luck, you know? <laughs> and Especially that, when it starts out the size of a basketball, and your target is the size is smaller baseball. than a baseball. Yeah. And that's the target we haven't really talked about yet. Yards. You talked about the poppers, but man, the KYLs, man, they're hard to see where you're hitting on those most of the time too. You got to get it on the big plate, and hopefully you see an actual splash impact, and then kind of just transpose that to the next and the next the next target, and so hope you don't miss. I have a mental trick on those, and I don't know if it, I don't know how much it works because I'd actually have to practice it and like video it to see if this does what I think it does. But my trick is, before I sh- as I'm firing the first round I'm on a big KYL, I'm studying and I look at all four quadrants to go just get like a shape, kind of like we do at TRPs. I get a shape of the paint or gray or dust or dirty stuff to go, this looks like that, this looks like that, this looks like that. I have four corners. I'm taking a snapshot of the target's paint in my brain. Before <laughs> I send the first round, bang. And I'm instantly going, gut check what changed. And that's, that is as close as i can get to discerning determining where a bullet hits on a kyl but it's specifically that it might be shot to hell and all gray but i can use that gut check to hedge my bet in one direction or the other i try to do that every time mm-hmm. like every shot on any target yeah but i use yeah. other things I, that one i'm usually expecting if we're shooting a kyl rack it's beat like destroy. I, I know but even then so because i'll see i'll see uh say i got a say we got a target Say it's like a, I don't know, a circle on a T-post hanger or whatever at 500 yards, and it's black, but it has a little bit of gray on the right, Yep. but not much gray, no gray anywhere else, but it's 
is, but it's got a little shiny piece of black on the high right side. And all of a sudden, I shoot, and all of a sudden, low, just a little low left to center, it's 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 all of a sudden got another one of those like really shiny, shiny yep. like kind of lead marks on the plate. Then I know that's, that's where your, I hit. That's your yep. Or if it goes away, then I know probably I hit where that old one was. Yeah, don't aim there anymore. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Well, that was really what I wanted to cover was the, you know, so the, to go, let's recap this just so we can be clear. There's, you know, different types of downrange effects. You have your trace or the bullet weight going downrange. You have your splash on target, the target motion, the spall or dust cloud from the target hitting or the bullet hitting the target. You also have this ball slat or dust cloud from hitting the berm, grass, trees, twigs, limbs, etc. around the target. And all of those things are going to be useful but in order of usefulness, you know, working them backwards, it's steel plate of motion, steel plate of change, the dust cloud adjacent to the target, uh, then lastly being essentially trace. So, in terms of most yeah. useful to least useful, eighty percent of the it's, time. I think honestly, generally, most of the time for me, it's a conglomerate of yes. of all of them, or some of them, or one of them. Yeah. But it's something, just like some combination of like, man, I thought I saw a little bit of, I thought thought I saw a little bit of the dust or spall, what you call it, coming off of the, across, it crossed the target. I didn't see any come out the upwind side. I just saw it, I just saw it kind of cross the middle of the plate, and I didn't see much action on the plate, but I saw it cross mo- the the middle of the plate and kind of come down the downwind side. So I probably need to cut a little bit of wind or something, you know, like I don't know. Like, yep. I don't. I don't want little little things. I don't want to open up a whole another box of worms here. But yeah. the one thing we didn't talk about is grass vegetation stuff like that. It can be very deceiving. Oh yeah. To look at grass and try to make an assumption of where your bullet passed through it. And I'm just going to go back to an example that I specifically remember, and it was the berm at. Uh, Barrel maker. Remember, yeah, you shoot it out of that Connex. Remember yep. that, Morgan? Um, kind of yep. by the. Uh, hill. Yep. You walk along the left yep. side, you are at the yep. road, I that road stage, so. to the right side of the road, up the hill, and into the notch and trees. Yep. Well, let me tell you from experience from somebody that didn't clean it, um, <laughs> when you hit the grass We were on there, the same squad. I know. Yeah. But I didn't know if you were watching when I shot, and a bunch of other people shot in our squad, and they kept thinking they were hitting high because the grass would I move, know. and the grass was like three feet tall. But the problem is their bullet was hitting the roots, and it was making the grass shake high. Above it. So that's something, number one, that you need to look out for. But number two, you can learn stuff about how the environment moves by watching other shooters. So do not just sit back, relax, wait for your turn to come up. Like, watch and see how others' dust reacts and how vegetation reacts for other people and how um, when people are missing, are they generally missing in a certain zone? Now, I don't take that to heart, but I do take it under consideration. Like, off the top of that Humvee last year, which I don't think you were there. Uh, last year, I wasn't there then. So off nope. the top of that Humvee, um, everyone was hitting high, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't normally like to do what everybody else is doing, but I'm gonna round down my dope a full tenth, and it, it can't hurt based on the side of the size of the targets. And guess what? I got an eight out of ten, and most scores yeah. were a two. You know, so uh, yep. just just make make sure you're watching the vegetation, what it's doing for other people, and learn about it. Every environment's different. I mean, you're gonna go to a different range most of the time. Very rarely is it like right now we're headed down to KM and you know the range and you know the the uh, terrain and stuff yeah. like that. You know, it's very rare. You don't that have you to worry about that. No. There. No, I'm just saying it's very rare that you go to a range and feel oh, yeah. comfortable with it. You know, you should you should always be, you know, 
on your A game, trying to pay attention to all those details. And there's one really good, I mean, I think one of the cool things about all this is kind of bringing it in totality. When you're watching dozens of shooters going through a stage, you don't necessarily want to, don't put a lot of emphasis on one shooter. Chad Heckler misses a target off the left side. You don't think, that oh, wouldn't I happen. need more wind. Um, like, I definitely got to have more wind because he missed off the left, so I'm going to add someone to my wind hole. That's the wrong way to approach it. You should be looking at everybody in your squad. What are you and doing over everybody's there? center left, left or off the left edge, now you can say, yeah, generally speaking, it looks like everybody is a little bit underestimating the wind. Yeah, I agree. And then you have a, now it doesn't tell you what to hold. It does tell you your next hold should likely be more wind. If, make yep. a guess, the next one should be more. Can't hurt to round up a little bit so, if there's a trend. Anyway, right, that's, yep. that was a good conversation, guys. I really like that one. I learned a little. Uh, let me yeah. Let me do one thing real fast on your grass. Okay. Because you you shot in Montana, Yes, you, I did. Uh, you know, Chad didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, Chad didn't. But but you have um, Francis. Uh, yeah. I should have said Francis is shot in Montana, but and and Utah, Utah does the same yeah. thing. But it seems like a lot of the ranges that are not like and, and obviously the similar situation there at uh, I can't remember what it whatever. Oh, Ken's range there, um, but. Every time you shoot in grass and dust comes up out of it, I swear, I, I get so annoyed. Well, I shouldn't say I get annoyed, but I, 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 I get slightly uh, slightly annoyed, I guess, would be a good way to put it, I guess. Because I get tired of people coming up to me like, dude, you're high on that stage. You were so high. And, and I'm like, well, I got a nine, and all I did was cut wind. And... Uh, you know, so I think there's something that people got to realize, like when you're in those um, stages where um, there's a lot of gla- gla- grass around the target, it kind of treat it like it's a T post in the middle of a field. Just trust your elevation. Don't worry about that because grass is 100% deceiving. Yes. Yeah, it's one of the yeah. harder things to read unless you have experience with it. Yeah, and I don't even think you can, you can't read the elevation because it hits. You know, if you got two foot grass, it had hit at the bottom of the grass, so you can't see in there. That's mm-hmm. why, yeah, grass to me is only a left to right. I'm looking for a flicker, things to move that weren't moving or moving a different direction, like sod. The wind's going right to left, and you see something kind of flicker hard right for a split second. You were probably wherever close to where that was. But yep. you, it's very difficult on elevation, Kirk Reed. Cool, yep. man. Well, we're going to have to do this again. Maybe we'll do it on, um, I don't know. How to win matches. Um. <laughs> yeah, thanks for giving us an hour Appreciate of your time. It. I know you're busy, man. So yeah, Time flies, pouring oh. powder, from what I can gather. Yep. <laughs> well, right on. I appreciate you guys having me on here. It's been fun, so yeah, we'll have to do it again for sure. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Yep. Good luck this weekend. You thanks. See you. See you guys. See ya. Yep, bye.